My name is Adam, and I am uh, one of the pastors here, and that's one of the favorite parts about my life. I'm also holding a two-liter. I'm curious, what, <laughs> what do you call the liquid contained within this bottle? Okay, so the controversy is here, and it's reached our church. Depending on where you're from, you probably defend how you refer to this carbonated beverage very passionately. In fact, uh, you can actually map out the different regions of the country uh, that call things different names. So here, in, it's interesting, in Missouri, we got a little soda. It's like a little island of soda, right? And north of us is a lot of pop. And then if you go south of us, we know Coca-Cola is a type of soda, but in a lot of the country, it's what kind of Coke you want. It's just a Coke. It's just a Coke. That's right. That's right. So people are very passionate about this. So I'm going to move on quickly. Another regional, another regional aspect of American dialect is how you, ref, how you refer to a group of people. So are, do you say you guys, y- y'all? May, are, do I have any, you don't have to reveal yourself. It's fine. Any Ewans people in here? Ewans? I, did I, Ewans? Uh, okay, we got it. We got it. Uh, I thought this map was hilarious. So this is a map, and the greener it is, it's more of y'all, and the less is less of y'all. I thought that was hilarious. Now, I'm, I went to high school in southeast Missouri, one of these little green counties, and so I'm a y'all person, and if you're really in trouble, it's all y'all. Like, all y'all better stop doing donuts in our church parking lot. I don't know what that's about. Uh, I have a mentor named Christine, and while I have never been uh, worthy to be affiliated with Duke University, she works with preachers at Duke University, and she did an experiment that I found really interesting. She took a list of words, and she had people mark whether they thought the word would indicate kind of a left-leaning message politically or a right-leaning message politically. Now, before you get uneasy, we're not going to stay here long. I haven't trapped you. Start with Dr. Pepper and then take a left turn or a right turn. Uh, so it's, it's fine. It's fine. Um, but this was really interesting to me. She, she put the results into word clouds. So here's the left-leaning words. They were things like inclusion, marginalized, reparations. The right-leaning words were things like commandments, sin, country. And there were a lot of words in her experiment that actually got responses on both sides. She called these purple words, things like prophet, servant, and charity. So people can make certain assumptions about where you're from based on what you call soda or pop. Based on how you refer, based on whether you say y'all or you guys or yins. And people might make political assumptions about you based on the words that you use. This is what Christine said. Words matter. Even without our conscious knowledge, our choice of words give us away. If I use the word partner to introduce my husband, you will have no doubt who I voted for in the last election. Whether we choose to use the word refugee or illegal alien reveals our inner selves, an attitude or belief. She said, language leaks. Words matter. From time to time, I I get to do, um, I guess I would call it consulting or professional development. We have a group of folks at church who own Walker Tree Service. And I was with them the other day doing some, some time with their staff. 
and I asked them to introduce themselves and go around the room and pick one positive word to describe themselves. That's an interesting exercise to watch folk to have the wheels turning and people say, well, I want to pick a positive word, but I don't want to be braggy, right? I mean, so that's an interesting exercise. What's a word that would describe your character? Maybe an even more dangerous exercise is ask someone else to pick a word that would describe your character. So what we're going to be looking at for the next four weeks are words that describe God's character. In this series called Words of Life, we're going to look at how God has chosen to reveal himself in the Bible, in the events of the Bible, and the words that describe those events, that describe God's character. Jesus said, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit. And in that same conversation, Jesus was experiencing people bailing on him, people not wanting to follow him. And ah, this is the sin for me. This is too tough. i got better stuff to do. And he asked another one of his disciples named Peter, well, are, are you next? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So in the series, Words of Life, we're going to be focusing on the words that describe God. God has given us the scriptures to reveal who God is and, by extension, who we are. And so we'll be looking at God's word and what we can learn about God from the words that God chose to describe himself. What I hope we'll discover today as we study God's word is that human faith may fail, but God's love lasts. One question I get a lot uh, as a pastor is, well, what translation of the Bible should I use? Or what's, what's a good one? And I'll put on my old-time pastor voice and, and tell you, the best translation is the one you actually read. <laughs> There's always a subtext of guilt with the pastor voice, isn't there? That's why you only break it out every so often. There are certain translations that, that aim for literal accuracy. Like they'll say it's a word-for-word translation. But even that, I think, is a misnomer because they have to make certain editorial choices. There's other translations that try to preserve the original kind of train of thought, if you will, or preserve the intent, but try to aim to make it more user-friendly, easier to read. Uh, that's not to say they're trying to make it less accurate, simply trying to make it easier to read. I had a seminary professor, his name was Ben Witherington, and he said this, every translation is an interpretation. Every translation is an interpretation. Because when it comes to translating these ancient documents, it's really important because words matter. But it's also a challenge. The inspiration from the series came from a book called New Testament Words. It's by uh, my boy, William Barclay. Uh, it's someone I love a lot. So if you want to read more about this, you can look at New Testament Words by William Barclay. And in, New, in that book, he says this, translation from one language into another is in one sense impossible. It's always possible to translate words with accuracy when they refer to things. A chair is a chair in any language. But it is a different matter when it is a question of ideas. In that case, some words need not another language to translate them, but a phrase or a sentence or even a paragraph. So we're going to spend a lot of time today on one word. And even in the 14 or so minutes I have left, if you're counting, uh, we're going to be barely scratching the surface today. In Exodus 34, 6, we read this about God. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Love and faithfulness is one way to translate the Hebrew word hased. 
Now, if I really wanted to get fancy, I would say chesed, because that's how it was pronounced. But I don't want to get spit all over the iPad for the rest of the morning. So I'm just going to do it like we would say in southeast Missouri. Uh, Chesed means an unfailing kind of love, goodness, or kindness. An unfailing kind of love, kindness, or goodness. We find the word chesed used 245 times in the Old Testament. I got a fancy graph for you. 245 times it's used. That's a lot. About half of these uses deal with human relationships. One person's faithfulness or kindness to another human. But then the other half of those 245 times, said is ascribed to God and God's character. Now it's interesting because we have at least one mention of Hased, I believe, in every book of the Old Testament. So I've got another graph for you. Uh, but then when you go to the Psalms, boom, it's like 120. So that's, that's a theme of the ancient uh, book of Psalms, this Hebrew book of poems. I was talking to Pastor Dale uh, uh, before service, and he was like, you know, that's interesting. And when I think about it, David, who wrote a lot of the Psalms, probably also needed a lot of extra love and faithfulness from God. So that made sense. I just thought that was interesting that you have this massive spike in the book of Psalms. So hased is, is one of those words that we don't have an English equivalent for. We have to translate it and try and capture the meaning in the, in the ancient context. Different translations put it differently. In the King James translation, it's, it's rendered as loving kindness, kindness and mercy. In the NRSV, steadfast love, great kindness, and faithful love. Again, around half the time, hased is used in human relationships, and the other half it's ascribed to God. And here are some good examples of that. After Jacob deceived his family and disobeyed God, he prays this when God tells him to come back to his family. He says, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am worthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. And in these next couple of verses, I'm, I'm going to put that Hebrew word, hased, in here. Not so I can impress you all with my copy and paste skills, but just because some of these words are a little bit synonymous. So I want us to recognize the word when it comes up. So in this verse, we see that God's hased can, can apply to an individual. In this case, it's Jacob. But other uses of hased tell us that, that God's kindness goes further than just individuals. In Isaiah 63, 7, we read, I will tell of the kindness of of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel, according to his compassion and many kindnesses. So God's said applies to a whole nation of people. This is a bunch of people, not just one. And throughout the Old Testament, basically the summary of the Old Testament could be the cycle of worship and obedience, rebellion and repentance, just over and over. And some of us, I think, all of us, could kind of plot our lives around the same cycle. And so we know from both disappointing people and being disappointed that human faith can fail, but God's love lasts. God's has said his loving kindness has this dimension to it of drawing back the people even after they've been disobedient. God's love is something that can be relied on even when ours cannot. The book of Hosea is essentially an allegory about the fickle loyalty of people. 
And this is what God says to the prophet. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Those were regions of Israel. What shall I do with you? Your love, your hesed, is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. So that's a stark contrast between human hesed and God's hesed. Ours is like a mist that disappears. God's loving kindness lasts even when ours fails. And it's been this way since the start. When Moses, one of the first leaders that God selected, was leading the Hebrew people out of Egypt, they escaped slavery and then found themselves wandering in the desert. And it's so hard to wrap our minds around because you see this kind of conflict of challenging Moses or being dissatisfied with God because at least when they were in Egypt, even though they were slaves, they knew where their next meal, where their next meal was coming from. And so sometimes we, we would actually prefer suffering to uncertainty. And that's what, that's what we see with, with the Hebrews. And so they, they, they want to go back. They're, they're about to mutiny. And Moses prays this to God. Forgive the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Just as you have pardoned this people from Egypt even until now. And so Moses says that, that God's steadfast love is just part of who God is. And so we see that God's said, God's faithful love, isn't just for an individual or one nation of people, only for the few, but it's for the whole world. We're going to read two verses from the Psalms where said is a major theme. The earth is filled with your love, we read. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. And so in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, you can plot kind of the expansion or the, our, our understanding as humans of the expansion of God's has said from one individual to one nation to the whole world. It's got an expanding trajectory. I think this is one of the things that makes the concept of has said hard to wrap our minds around. Our, our lack of faithfulness, because our, our faith fails all the time but God's love lasts. And, and everything about our world conditions us or gets us accustomed to earning whatever we get. But that's not how God's said works. It's offered without condition. This is, this is hard for us to understand because our whole culture is based on performance, achievement, and earning. Grades, test scores, salaries, promotions, retirement funds, stocks, trying out for theater or sports, the way people perceive you, your attractiveness, and how successful you are. I could keep going. I think you could too. It's all based on earning. But God's said is offered unconditionally. Not only that, not only is it offered freely, God's said actually pursues us. It's not just there when we come get it. It follows us. It pursues us. Psalm 23 famously says, Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. This is my beloved childhood dog, Harley. He was a child lab mix. I I got a Houston Astros hat on. Don't hate me. I worked in Houston one summer. Dirty cheaters. And... (laughs) 
and I guess Harley was a lab chow mix. I think he had just got his hair cut because normally his hair was a little longer. He was a great, just the best dog, except, especially when he was younger, if you left the door like a millimeter cracked, or if someone came to the door and didn't know what they were doing and just opened it wide, he would bolt. Now, in Cape Girardeau, uh, our home was near, uh, was on a hill, and it was not too far away from downtown. And he got out the door and just started bounding. And so I think I'm in ninth or 10th grade. And so I, I got to run after him. And yet, have you ever heard the expression, like, what happens if you get hit by a dump truck? You know, it's a little morbid, but I, I almost saw Harley get hit by a dump truck. I mentioned we live on a hill because as he was running across, a dump truck was like coming over the top and almost, almost didn't see him, barely missed him. And so I'm so frustrated and so scared because I think my dog is going to get hit by a car. I'm just like just in tears. I'm running, which is not a spiritual gift of mine. I'm chasing after my dog. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but your dog's like, they think this is a fun game. And so you get about eight feet from them. And you're, about, you're trying to coax them, but you're also wanting to kill them, you know. And they know this. And so I'd get close, and poof, he would just take off again. So Harley makes it all the way downtown. And I'm chasing after him, downtown Cape Girardeau, when he finally tuckers out. But I'd been tracking him the whole time. And I put the leash on him, and I'm like, let's go. <laughs> He's so tired, he doesn't want to walk anymore. So like, straight up shepherd style, I hoist him up on my shoulders and walk as you know what all the way home. Now I bring this up to you, uh, not to compare me to God, but to compare us to Harley. Too many times we're running off, chasing after something, and we're putting ourselves in danger. The scriptures are filled with God's people disregarding God's best for them and sinning. And our lives are filled with the same thing. And whether that's something we have done, a choice we've made that's sinful or being affected by someone else's choice, directly or indirectly. There are no shortage of reasons, friends, that God's loving kindness is the good news we desperately need. And God pursues us with this loving kindness every step of the way. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. Human faith may fail, but God's love lasts. It pursues us. Every Sunday, I'm reminded of God's loving kindness, of his unfailing love. And, and one of the things that really is a picture of that for me uh, is you all. And so to both avoid getting too misty myself or having that effect on someone else, I'm going to cut the eye contact for a minute here, okay? Because I see it. I see God's has said at work when I know people who are struggling with the death of someone they've loved or some type of family crisis or, or a crisis of faith or some financial challenge they're facing. When they come in and worship God, it is a testament to God's unfailing love. Here's one thing I know to be true. Here's the one thing I've learned in ministry. You have no idea what people are going through. And I only know this much sometimes. And when people get up here and sing, or, or they come and pray, they come to meet with God amidst all that's going on, 
over and over and over, they come to their appointment with God. You know, that's what worship is. It's an appointment with God. And they come because he is good and he is faithful. So that's one reason that it's important that we come to worship. Because somebody else might be strengthened just by you showing up. And so praising God, especially when life has been hard, is a testament to God's loving kindness. And Christ came as an embodiment of that kindness. God's love pursued us to the point where he just didn't describe it in the pages of a book or in the the action of history. God showed it with the incarnation of Jesus. He showed his hased, his unfailing love, with the sacrificial death on the cross and his victory over death in the resurrection. And so Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. God's loving kindness can be yours, and you can know it every day, even if you have claimed it many times before. A few weeks ago in uh, our other service, we sang like a Hall of Fame hymn. You may know this one. Praise to the Lord the Almighty. And this line struck, stuck, stuck out with me for several weeks now. Praise to the Lord who doth prosper thy work and defend thee. Surely his goodness and mercy here daily attend thee. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend thee. God has said his loving kindness not only waits for you, it pursues you. It pursues us daily. It's God who prospers our work, who gives us every good gift, and whose spirit dwells with us and doesn't abandon us to all the evil that runs rampant in the world. And so if God's goodness and mercy can be ours daily, my question for you is, do we appreciate that daily? You know, we're at the point where we've taken our children to Sonic so many times, it's not even really a thank you anymore. It's kind of a normal Thursday sort of situation. And, and I think something that's a challenge as humans is the longer we experience something, the more we get used to it, the less we appreciate it. That's why it's hard to do well at your job for five or ten years. Because your excellent work just becomes your work. People expect it. And I think that same factor can be true of, of how we perceive and acknowledge God or, or not. And so this week, I, the, today, I'd invite you to pause and daily appreciate God's loving kindness. You've already done so at worship, so you're further than you think. I did a little research this week. Uh, I'll just throw it out there. On average, how many times do you think I pick up my phone every day? Somebody want to throw out a number? Be brave. I'll close my eyes. I won't see who it is. 171. It's like 10 an hour. Now, before you're like, ooh, that's a lot, look at yours. Because I didn't think mine would be that much. So what I did, if I'm going to look at the, if, if, if my phone pursues me all the days of my life, I thought I'll make me a little background. So here it is, Psalm 23. Every time I pick up my phone, that's what I'm going to see. And so we've put this on our Facebook page this morning. And so if you want to do something similar, just as a simple reminder, 
This is about as low stakes as you can get, folks. Change the wallpaper on your phone. Now, if you're not on Facebook, you'll probably live a longer, healthier life. Okay? And so I'm going to post up back there after service, and I'd be happy to airdrop you the photo or text it to you or whatever. And this is a simple thing, because here's the deal. My typical bent uh, is to have some charge for us, right? Like, so go and love your neighbor with God's said, or go to the office. And I don't have a challenge for you like that this week. Not that you shouldn't. I don't have some big new next step for you. I'm not trying to motivate you to do this for your neighbor or at your office or at your school or at your job. God has said his loving kindness is just part of God's nature. And so I'd invite you to acknowledge that and experience it, to welcome that daily. For surely his goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, for the chance to be together and be reminded of your unfailing love, your chesed. God, so often we choose to ignore it or disregard it or disobey it. And, and, and like a dog running around downtown, put ourselves in harm's way, thinking we know what's best while you pursue us the whole time. God, in many ways, your love that lasts is the only thing we can count on. We sang about it as a firm foundation. We sang about how you've never failed us yet. So we thank you for your grace and mercy that you pursue us with your loving kindness even when we fail. You don't. So God, help us. Help us to be mindful and attentive to your love that's offered to us new every day. And give us the strength to have our response not just fade away like the morning dew, but to live it out in ways large and small every day. God, thank you for your great love for us. We love you and we trust you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.